and it's live. <laughs> it is live. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to the sixth episode of the Morality of, of Everyday, Everyday Things. Things. I'm Jacob, one of your co-hosts. I'm the other co-host. Indeed. And on this podcast, we consider issues or questions of morality that touch our everyday lives, such as when is lockdown justified? In today's episode, we'll be asking the question, is it immoral to eat meat? This is a big one. There's, there's been a lot of kind of like Netflixy conspiracy. What was the recent one? The one Game Changers, the one where he mm. claims like it's we're not vegan, yeah, we're like super athletic. Exactly. Yes, I've heard it turns you into the Hulk. Um, <laughs> we're not. We're not going to be reviewing the science so much. We're really going to be focusing on the kind of moral perspective of this. We would provide the framework to understand what the evidence would point to. We wouldn't review the evidence. Thank you to this week's sponsor, us. We, we do not sponsor it because we love you guys. So please leave a review. It's true. It's still free of advertising. For Even, now. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we'll retrospectively add ads and then this will sound stupid. It will. But that's cool. We can live with sounding stupid. Okay. Let's dive mm. right in. Cool. So the usual thing we do when we begin these podcasts is we step back from the question and think about what does it really mean? What are these terms? What are they actually pointing to? I mean, first of all, when we're saying, is it immoral to eat meat? I think one thing to clarify is the term eat meat is a bit broader in terms of connotation than specifically putting bits of flesh into your mouth, right? I think that the, the question it's poking at is supporting the meat industry more generally, but we will also consider very specifically the morals of, you know, eating meat. So to the specific, what is meat? What is an animal? That might sound facetious to, to ask such a particular question, but you should ask such particular questions in philosophy. I think the reason that it's interesting to say what is it specifically is because there's some quote-unquote animals that might start to blow those lines, right? According to Wikipedia, animals are multicellular eukaryotic organisms that form the biological kingdom Animalia. <laughs> Another one from the dictionary, a living organism that feeds on organic matter, typically having specialized sense organs and a nervous system and the ability to respond rapidly to stimuli. I think the interesting thing there is that we have examples of animals that don't have nervous systems. Um, mm -hmm. Oysters, right? Mm -hmm. Should an oyster count as an animal if it doesn't have a nervous system? There are some animals that don't, or, or at least, you know, living things that don't really respond to stimuli. I think the reason we have the respond to stimuli one is particularly to try and make a distinction between plants and animals, right? They're not responsive in the same way that animals are. They do still respond to things like light and input, but they're, I guess, being poked. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's questions around what, what is a plant's capacity to yeah. feel, experience. Yeah. If it's a category, is an insect less of an animal than a cow? Mm. And why does that matter? Yeah, well, we'll come to that. Next, the term to eat. When, when it we... comes to eating, ants, the experts. Yes, so. I have been raised for this. My family are really good at eating. Seriously, <laughs> when we walk up to an all-you-can-eat buffet, they cower in fear. <laughs> you should see my family. Okay, if my mom and dad are listening to this, please take that in good humor. <laughs> but so, so when we say eat, I think it's important to kind of draw some distinctions between production, purchase, consumption, use, mm. right? Obviously, strictly eat means to put in your mouth, but it's relevant to the question, can we use animal products? Mm -hmm. um, is it okay to produce meat for eating? Is it okay to purchase meat that has already been produced? What, what does eating mean? You pointed to the fact that it encompasses more than just the physical act of like chewing, chewing on and mouth. digesting yep. food products. I think it, it speaks to the fact that a lot of the harms are concentrated in the production element, the actual yep. act of just purchasing something purchasing exactly. all the time. Like, and so it's kind of, you know, if you're producing to kill something, it doesn't matter whether you're then using its hide to make leather or consuming its meat or both. 
if that's the source of, of what makes it wrong. So that's why we think it's important, you know. And, but then, you know, to flip it around, if that's the source of the justification, it could be that there are circumstances where it's permissible to eat meat. It's not the eating of meat in itself that's wrong. It's the production exactly. for, for use. That's kind of touching on some of the connotations. And, and we, we maybe we strayed a little bit from the strict question. But like we said, it's an everyday discussion. And, and I think that's these are some of the things that people might mean when they ask a question like this. So let's go on and answer that. Why might eating meat be immoral? So in answering this question, we've tried to break it up into a few different sections. Um, well, two specifically. Two but, specifically. But then, with sub, <laughs> then subsections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of sections. If you could see our show notes. First off, there is the direct question, which we've just been addressing. Is the specific act of eating the flesh or consuming the physical matter. form matter? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of consuming an animal, is that wrong? And then specifically, let's look at production, the suffering and active killing of creatures involved in production. Is that immoral? And we can link that back to the act of eating, consuming. Those mm -hmm. are the direct parts of the question. And then I think some of the indirect stuff that kind of follows from this, particularly, I suppose, using a consequentialist argument, kind of more widely, the meat industry as we know it is a source of a lot of harm and wrong, including the suffering death that we discussed. But there's also some other impacts. So, you know, if, if you've seen Cowspiracy, and I guess if you don't live under a rock, you'll know <laughs> that a, a big part of the modern vegetarian vegan argument is around the environmental impact, less than around screaming at people, telling them that they're murdering for killing cows. But although that still exists and, you know, we'll come to the extent to which that is valid. I don't mean that sarcastic term to imply that that's not a valid <laughs> um, So that's kind of a one part. And that's, we've kind of drawn that out as a single one because it is so popular that it-, it, mm, it It's very current. Yeah, it's, very it's, it's very relevant. It's worth discussing in its own right. But then beyond that, there, there's some further examples. The environmental impact can be considered an externality, which means it's, it's a byproduct. Like the purpose of producing meat isn't to cause environmental harm, but it happens anyway. And there's a whole set of other externalities. One example being just the negatives of the entire sort of complex and, and the working conditions. It's kind of analogous to when textiles are produced in a sweatshop. It's a notoriously bad industry. Yeah, slaughterhouses, battery farms, all these things are mm. just deeply unpleasant, not just for the animals, but for the people who work there as well. Not surprising then that when we've had some COVID outbreaks recently, for anyone who's listening a year or two from now, this is still the middle of a quote unquote pandemic. I, I, <laughs> I'm, starting to, I'm starting to feel like it's a little overblown, but. Listen, um, mate, we're in the middle of a second wave here. Oh my God, yeah. Well, <laughs> Boris Johnson said so, so. So um, it must be true. Yeah, it must be true. Anyway, it's not a coincidence then that some of the outbreaks that we've seen have been in slaughterhouses. But then also actually the meat industry more widely has come under some attention because of its role in viruses spreading. Mm -hmm. Many novel viruses need to transmit through an animal in order to reach humans. And the killing and the mingling of lots of animals together is a, is a big source of this, particularly of wild animals, apparently. So, you know, maybe this isn't relevant to, to livestock farming, but still. But it definitely poses... to pangolin farming. Yes. Oh, <laughs> and bats. <laughs> we need to stop hanging out, man. <laughs> but the point is that there, there are some externalities that are morally mm -hmm. worth considering in the modern context of eating meat. I think one thing that's really important in considering this is in the strictest sense, it actually doesn't make the act in itself immoral. We could conceivably come up with certain conditions under which it's fine. For example, if the issue is environmental impact, negatives of livestock farming, blah, 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 that doesn't rule out eating roadkill. That doesn't rule out- Taking steps just to mitigate those impacts, yeah, to be honest. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't rule out like if you raised an animal under great welfare conditions and it died of, of natural causes. I think also one of the difficulties with the, that indirect argument it basically sets down like a moral marker because it's basically saying, 
I am this moral and you know these externalities are the reason. It's hard to be consistent, I think yeah. is the point there. The same rigor of assessing externalities should apply to many vegan products. I will give specific examples to aviation, to textiles. So when you're a, a vegan travel blogger who wears fast fashion, are you a hypocrite? Almost definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're, you're, defi you're definitely annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Let's go through these in detail to remind you. The, I mean, the first one is around that, that kind of suffering, death, eating of flesh, right? In order to address this, there's a really important underlying question surrounding the moral status of animals. Indeed. So, for example, humans are animals. Yeah. No, no, no. I think, I think the, most, the most interesting thing is whatever argument you take, we basically need to say, how does this apply to humans? How does this apply to insects? And there's kind of a, a range of ways you can look at this. There are, for example, some philosophical schools that are basically saying animals are, are not subject to morality. They're non-moral beings. You could argue that we're on a spectrum of morality, saying that they are moral, but somewhere between zero and one, where one is human and zero is a rock. Challenge you to kill a rock. <laughs> <laughs> and consume it. <laughs> but then the, I guess the third potential one would be that all things fit into different moral categories. So then basically on that spectrum and categories point, we need to kind of think about what the features of different positions in those might look like. Should we, should we talk through some examples? Is that, is that maybe helpful? If we're saying a spectrum, I mean, you said a rock kind of a bit as a joke, but plants, right? Plants yeah. are presumably the sort of lower end of the spectrum. At the most, zero? Is well, a plant's plant still a living thing, but even the most diehard vegan doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't I mean, draw you have a line to, there. Yeah, you also, also, there's a kind of a necessity argument. You have to eat something, right? Yeah, yeah. So you've got plants at the one end and you've got humans at the extreme other end of the spectrum. I think it's fair to just assume that humans are like apex morality. Maybe you can say other things are equal to them, but I can't imagine anyone arguing something is more than a human. Maybe because they're, of their innocence. Um, that's almost like a religious argument. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, no one's suggesting we shouldn't eat plants. As we discussed at the beginning of the show, the classification of animals, the lines aren't exactly clear. So mm. let's go back to that example of oysters. Oysters don't have a central nervous system. Can oysters feel? It's a, it's a genuine question. So I guess the, the, the problem is, if we put these things on a spectrum, how do we fit plants, oysters, things that don't fit well into that spectrum. And, and, and actually, I mean, what, what is the spectrum along which we're drawing things? You're sort of talking about like moral relevance, but what is the basis of that? Is the basis mm. of that suffering? That would be presumably what someone like Peter Singer would, yes. would, yeah, yeah. would use, right? I would say, yeah, suffering. So it's kind of related to sentience, mm -hmm, I'd mm -hmm. say. So the ability to think and determine and have a conscious experience is kind of what I conventionally would say drives the morality of a creature. I think so, just because the greater capacity you have for sentience, the greater capacity you have to suffer. Yeah. Life is suffering, Anthony. Life is, yeah, <laughs> I love it. Here's a difficult question then. Mm -hmm. If that is true and applies between animals and humans, should quote unquote more sentient humans be considered morally different? I mean, I think I should be, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the point is the spectrum it's, argument... It's a very fair point. Yeah. Yeah. The spectrum argument introduces quite a lot of issues of that sort. Another, another issue with the spectrum argument would be if animals fit onto a spectrum, that would imply that some number of animals makes them morally equal mm. to a human. Yeah, even if it's a logarithmic spectrum, like yeah. presumably it's... Yeah, point, it doesn't have to be linear, it just needs to be... Presumably at some point monotone. like a thousand cows is worth a human, and that's, that's, some, that's some tricky maths yeah. to be doing. Yeah, moral calculus. <laughs> it's a little difficult, and you start to approach those kind of difficult questions of, okay, does this imply, like I said, that we should separate humans into different levels of morality on the basis mm. of however it is that we're separating humans and animals? Where do we class animals that are kind of not sentient at all? And I think maybe this is just me saying my view, but I kind of feel like on that animals versus humans point, mm. but like imagine, imagine you know, the, 
God, you're talking to God. So, oh my God, you exist. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I've been here the whole time. <laughs> and he, you know, he says like, okay, I can either create a thousand cows or save your brother's life. I feel like most people would opt for the human for any reasonable number. You've, you've muddied that by using your brother though. Yeah. You? Well, I mean, okay. Yeah. That, there's a familial tie. A person, person is there in front of you and they're going to mm. make him the case like, pick me, not the cows. <laughs> and the, you'd, the you'd imagine, like, move. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd imagine the person would make a much more compelling case. <laughs> I don't know. It depends if it was Trump. <laughs> like, mate, just stop talking. I was about to pick you. <laughs> just stop interrupting the cows, man. <laughs> Moo. <laughs> um, oh, man. Cool. So we've segued a bit there, but the point is, do you, do you buy into the spectrum thing? It's not my preferred one. I can understand people there, but then I don't understand how you'd answer some of those specific questions. If, if we're not using spectrums, you said the alternative is, I mean, one is you assume everything is equal, all living things are equal. Is that not or, a subset of the spectrum argument? Yeah, it's just everything's on the same part. Spectrum, spectrum is a dot. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's just we don't use the rest of the spectrum. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, the two alternatives are categories. Different categories have different rules. They're not necessarily comparable in the way that a spectrum would imply that they are comparable. And then the third one is just animals do not have inherent moral value. Mm. It only applies to humans. Let's start with the categories. Basically, we end up having to answer this exact question for each distinct category. It becomes, is it immoral to eat meat from class A? Which actually intuitively makes a lot of sense. It's kind of the way we practice it. It is the way, because to give some concrete examples, is it okay to eat human meat? Generally, people say no. Like It's, it's a taboo across, across history. Is it okay to eat cats and dogs? Most people say no. Just because of the way that we've raised and yeah. domesticated them. Yes. So they're animals, but they seem to be in a different category to livestock. You get people saying, oh, you know, I can't believe these people in China eat dogs. And they advocate for them to stop eating dogs. They don't advocate for them to stop eating meat. They're kind of implying that there's a difference, uh, which makes them non-comparable. And then also, obviously, you have, I think, conventionally lesser moral, I'm using my fingers to do quotation marks, lesser <laughs> moral value. I don't know why I'm doing that. I'm afraid that they're going to attack me like insects. So, <laughs> so, so I think this is pure speculation. Do you think a lot of vegans would consider eating insects? If you look at the environmental argument, insects, if you were to farm them, like mm. they would have way lesser environmental impact because they're just lower down that sort of yeah, chain. Much it's efficient. much more efficient. And if, if your basis of veganism is that, then you can feel more yeah. comfortable eating insects. But yeah. since we're talking about the sentience of different beings, yeah. I don't know. I, think... I could see I could see some vegans being like livestock fits into a class that is morally unacceptable to eat, whereas insects mm-hmm. are in a class that's morally acceptable to eat. And mm-hmm. that kind of fits into that category's argument. With insects, it's even a question of like, is that really eating meat? Now, I mean, that's meat. I'm just being unfair because they're little and crunchy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of steaks. Like, there's no steak in a cricket. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting experience eating insects. Have you ever tried? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a oh. spider in the corner of my room and I was like, no, I'm going to show you who's boss. <laughs> no, no, no. I've had some crickets. I've had like both ground up and literally like little crunchy yeah, ones. Yeah, like cricket, grasshopper, peanut butter. Mm, really? Yeah, That's yeah. quite cool. Also a great source of protein. So then the third possible classification is that they have no moral value. I, I think this is actually technically Kant's perspective. It was. Kant basically came to the conclusion that they only have moral value insofar as they affect humans. So, for example, killing a pet is only bad because it makes you feel bad and upset. Indeed, he just um, disregards the actual suffering of, of yeah, animals. It's, it's morally irrelevant. Yeah. I don't think that intuitively kind of rings true. I think we empathetically, deeply care about the suffering of other animals. And in fact, we basically use it as an indicator of serious mental illness. You know, watch any true crime thing. Like, it's always like, they tortured cats when they were a kid. <laughs> yeah, like, what kind of, what kind of person? <laughs> Yeah, as there was a recent yeah. Netflix documentary on that. It's don't, just... don't mess with cats. It's slightly edited. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's hard to just write off an argument because it feels wrong. But 
I'm going to do it. <laughs> I, I, I Sue me, so. can. <laughs> and the trouble is, I mean, without straying into the realm of science, it's, it's hard to know. It's hard to definitively say that an animal experiences anything like suffering, but in the same way that it's actually hard for me to know that any human experiences mm. suffering the way that I do, etc. Yeah. So I think, I think you agree with this. I think we both basically fit into the categories hypothesis. I think categories, at least, is the best description of the way that we behave at the moment, personally, but also more broadly as society. Yeah. And I think the really interesting one is pets versus livestock. Mm. They seem to be genuinely different moral classifications, despite being similarly intelligent animals. And that's the thing. I mean, you can you can really get into questions of whether we've got the categories right. Like, like yep. pigs, for example. Yeah, pigs are pigs. supposed to be pretty intelligent. Yeah, they're very know. intelligent, yeah. And as Churchill said, dogs look up to us, cats look down on us. Pigs treat us as equals. <laughs> yeah, but they can't really look across at us. They still have to kind of look up, right? <laughs> but yeah, I think basically for the reasons we discussed, that seems to make the most sense. If it's a spectrum argument, you should be able to apply it to humans. And there's so many arguments for eating meat that are, are just hard nose when it comes to humans. It mm. doesn't seem to make sense for them to be in comparable groups. And with humans, it's not just the arguments around production and killing for consumption. <laughs> Literally, in anything but extreme survival situations, it seems to be considered wrong to consume the flesh of another human. And that's throughout history. That's not kind of like a moral relativism thing. Mm. That's like there are very, very, very few communities in which it was the norm to consume human flesh. It's just so deeply seen as wrong. But is it all just the product of conditioning, though? Is it just social conditioning that stops us eating each other? But, but, that's, but that's the point I was kind of making when I said it's not, it doesn't seem to be just modern moral. It's not it, modern it's, conditioning, for sure. Yeah. I mean, feasibly that's the case, but I think the fact that different cultures all over the world that developed independently all have this feature. Yeah, I mean, the idea is pretty disgusting, right? Well, yeah. you're just you're just conditioned to think that, Jake. <laughs> it's, it's possible. I know, and that's the thing. I mean, that's where it becomes a bit murky, right? Is this, are our feelings just the product of conditioning rather than actual moral reasoning? Or... Okay, so you're, gonna, you're referring to the carnism argument. I mean, this is kind of a counterpoint to the cats and dogs argument, mm. right? Whereby, like, are cats and dogs in a special moral category or are we committing the naturalistic fallacy, mm -hmm. i.e. saying... The way things are. The way things are reflect the way things should be mm -hmm. when actually it's just it's just a a feature of like no good reason that we don't eat cats and dogs but do eat livestock i could agree with that mm. but i think there's something very distinct about the animals that we domesticate and raise as pets for either pleasure or work actually no even pleasure and work probably have a distinction mm. so like the way you treat a horse is different to the way you treat cats and dogs is different to the way that you treat livestock i kind of feel like that argument of is it social conditioning is kind of like you you can make any moral argument <laughs> and you kind of fall into this kind of moral relativism where it's like yeah well that's just the opinion at the moment there's no mm. there's no point talking about it because it's just whatever is currently right is right personally I, th I think the categories thing makes sense just in so far as i think there's a distinction between humans and animals i mm. think it's hard to say that there is some number that kind of makes that comparison yep. work out therefore you want to treat animals as distinct from humans within animals there are different classes of animals i mean, that's why pescatarianism exists to some extent yeah. right for some people they... well certainly pescatarianism otherwise probably doesn't make much sense <laughs> unless unless maybe it's a it's a sort of health yeah. taste and likewise it doesn't really make sense to eat a cow but not a pet if it's like a spectrum argument mm. i mean if anything cats and dogs should be on a similar or lower part of the spectrum than many livestock right why is that they're kind of smaller I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a fair point, but you know what I mean. Elephants are the most moral creatures. Part Actually, of the they're whale. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's to do with sentience. Fine, it's pigs, not cows. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. like we said, like if anything, you should either not eat the pig or also eat cats and dogs. It's true. Pigs have been hard done by. They've been put in the wrong category. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put into the wrong so pen. Bloody delicious. That's <laughs> oh, the problem. Wait. Why? Why is bacon so good? <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I think my dad told me 
that bacon is pig's ears. And I just never, I never really thought about it. I believed it, I believed it for a long time. And I was like, man, how many pigs are we killing? Like, like a pack of 12 requires six pigs. <laughs> that, was, that was stupid of me. I was young, don't worry. I was 23. <laughs> no, no, I must've been in my, my single digits. Bring it back to the question. The question there, we were looking at why eating meat might be immoral and we were looking specifically at eating. The specific act of consuming the flesh of another creature it seems that in some cases, it is, if we're taking that category of moral status argument mm -hmm. to be correct, in some statuses, it is genuinely just wrong to consume the flesh of another creature. In the case of humans, as we said, some people would rather die than eat another human being, even in an extreme survival mm -hmm. situation. The main question is, is it okay to eat animals in the category of livestock? And I think if you're happy to accept that they have a moral difference from humans, then that's how you feel comfortable with the act morally of eating them. Um, <laughs> it's a way of justifying it. It's, it's it a doesn't way mean it is just. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm not saying it is just. I'm just saying like, as long as you can consider them different from humans, which I think. Yeah, yeah. Then... In, in the context of this question, based take it that the animal has died of natural causes because we're taking the suffering and production yeah. as a separate point if you found a cow that had died of natural causes it's, it doesn't seem untoward to eat it but it does seem untoward to eat a human who died in a road accident yeah <laughs> if you take the suffering and killing out of it the actual act of eating meat doesn't seem in and of itself to be wrong if you can sort of conceive of animals as being morally different to humans yeah. that's that's the sort of condition there so the next part the suffering mm. of living creatures involved in the production. Now, this is where the vegetarian argument really gets going. Peter Singer took this on in 1975. He wrote a famous book called Animal Liberation. And this is where he took a utilitarian stance on the question and basically made the link between the meat industry is bad. There's a lot of harm to production. We'll talk about those specifically in just a second. And his link there is that by buying into the meat industry, by consuming its products, you are perpetuating economically mm. the rules of supply and demand. You buy more meat, they supply more meat, and you perpetuate the cycle yep. of suffering. If you're a utilitarian, you're basically getting the calculus really wrong if you do not factor in the utility that the animals are experiencing. Does that put him in the spectrum or categories argument? I'm not sure with Singer. I'd need to read a little bit more of his stuff. He doesn't actually read it? <laughs> <laughs> Spark notes. Um, now I believe he, he views animal suffering as, if not on a par with humans, certainly morally mm. valuable. Like, yep. I suppose in that case, you could be either the categories or the spectrum argument. Mm -hmm. That point is interesting. Like I said, innately, it does seem... For the same reason that we wrote off the argument of they don't have any moral status, it does seem that we should value their harm mm. somewhat. I don't know that it should be at the same level of humans, but yeah, I think, I think it's fair to say that their suffering and death is, is not pleasant. And again, then there's the moral challenge of how do you draw that comparison? That's, mm. that's where it gets really tricky. Yep. This is probably one of the more well-publicized arguments about being a vegetarian or being a vegan is that the meat industry is a pretty grim place, particularly mm. for the animals. And, and especially when you're talking about animals being produced for food on an industrial scale, you've mm. got a lot of physical suffering in terms of operations that animals undergo, tail docking, debeaking, dehorning, castrating. All of this happens without anesthetic because it just doesn't make economic sense to anesthetize animals. So there's a lot of physical pain there. Animals suffer psychologically because they're crowded into small spaces on top of each other. They're deprived of interesting environments. There's no philosophy podcasts for them to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> and they're bred to grow quickly on minimal food. So their whole lives are physically you know, mm. uncomfortable, grim. There's, there's a lot of suffering there. And then to top it all off, 
after experiencing all this suffering their whole lives, they're taken to a slaughterhouse and killed for someone to eat them. Yes, 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 yes. And now Singer is saying that the act of eating meat alone, you can separate these two things and say, just eating meat, something's died. There's nothing wrong in the act of eating meat. But if you are buying meat, if you're consuming meat, you are buying into the meat industry and you are perpetuating the cycle of supply and demand. And that was the basis of his argument. It's a little bit like the analogy with voting. Every time you buy meat, even though you're just a sort of single person, you're still sending a signal and it all adds up over yeah, time. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, the, the difficulty is when you walk into a supermarket as an individual, really, when you walk into a supermarket and there's some meat there. That's a criticism that has been levied against him. Granted, the chicken lying in the supermarket freezer today would have died mm. even if you'd never existed to, yeah. to buy it. I mean, actually, what if you go in and it's like, you know, you're the last person in on a Sunday and it's in the discounted aisle? Like it's literally going to go in the bin if you don't buy it. And that happens to a lot of meat, right? A lot of meat is wasted in yeah. supermarkets and restaurants. And Is it morally distinct to only eat meat that would otherwise go off? Because in that case, you're not even really affecting supply and demand, right? Like if that meat is going to be thrown away, it's well, not going to necessarily feed back. You say that, but it could also send a signal that they're buying too much meat. That's true. What about in a restaurant? Like someone isn't about to finish their plate of meat and it's just going to go in the bin. Man, I'm embarrassed to say I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> I was out with some friends and there were like some guys on their stag doers, which for Americans is a bachelor party. They like half eaten a plate of ribs. And I was like, guys, are you not going to finish that? I was a bit drunk. They were very drunk. And they're like, no, go ahead. So I ate like three half plate of ribs. I was honoring the cow that gave up those ribs. <laughs> very good of you. But that's a fair, I, I say fair. It is a criticism that's levied against Singer. Mm. Is it fair? I don't know. Because as you say, there's, there's a lot of value just in signaling. Even if your act of purchasing mm. is a drop in the ocean of the supply and demand cycles that are going yep. on. So, but then if the point is to signal is it not more important to vocally be a vegetarian slash vegan than to actually not eat meat? Which is an interesting thought experiment. Is being a silent vegan actually, yeah. does it really achieve much? I mean, which is, which is better, to, to, be, to lie about being a vegetarian or vegan, but talk about it a lot and do a lot of signaling, or to be a secret vegan vegetarian? In answering this, you have to sort of try and forget about the annoyingness. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, also, that's, that's another point. If you're talking about the annoyingness, then that, mm. that could undermine your own movement, right? And that's, again, it's, a, it's another criticism. This one, actually, I buy, which is just that if the argument of the vegan movement is mm. to reduce overall meat consumption, potentially a much more effective way of doing that is to get everybody to lower their meat consumption, not necessarily to zero, but just to lower it. Like yeah. if you get everyone down from two to one. This is actually a point I think that they made in Cowspiracy, that an error of the 70s, 80s vegan vegetarian movement was to be aggressive and kind of gatekeeping, like mm. you, you're evil. It, it kind of pushes people away. They almost, they almost don't want to agree with you just because you're a bit of a dick. Um, <laughs> whereas if the, if the argument was more like, hey guys, you know, it, try and eat less red meat and reduce your meat intake. Getting 100% getting of people to reduce their meat intake by 10%, versus getting 1% of people to eat no meat, mm. you know, which is more effective, the former. Yeah, by exactly. Tenfold. I mean, that's the way that we try and live ourselves, right? You and yeah. I personally. Yeah, yeah. But sorry, back to that question of, is it better to be a secret vegan or signaling a lot? I think the issue with Singer's argument seems to be that if the point is to be part of a feedback loop, then it would seem to imply that being a lying vegetarian slash vegan would actually be more effective. Assuming you're convincing people and you're sort of looking yeah. at the outcomes there, right? So. Yeah, I mean, we're taking it that your individual, I'm guessing that you're not a buyer for McDonald's, your individual mm. buying decisions aren't going to actually impact the market. But that's another really relevant point. There are big organizations like McDonald's that have Ooh. way more impact on consumption, supply, demand, feedback loops. If you're someone who works at McDonald's and you can persuade them to 
to have more vegan options on the menu mm. and reduce the, the amount of meat options, you're going to have way more impact on the yeah, but cycles. But Singer didn't write a book for the one guy who does that job at McDonald's. And to be fair to his point, when I go to Greece, one thing that really strikes me is that like there versus here, we are like 20 years ahead in terms of vegetarian veganism trends and companies respond to those trends. McDonald's and Burger King and KFC release vegan options when they see that there's market demand for it. Mm -hmm. And so his kind of point is clarify that there's market demand and then the market will start to cater to it. Again, this is kind of like a micro macro question whereby like your individual actions and intentions versus the macro actions and mm. intentions don't necessarily line up very well. And if your point is to change macro intentions, as per the thought experiment, it seems that it's more important to signal than to actually do the thing. But you could argue that effective signaling is only done if you are actually yeah. living up it, to your word. It risks undermining you if it comes out that, <laughs> you're, that you're secretly eating steaks at home, exactly. bathing yourself in the blood of chickens. <laughs> um, okay, so let's, wait, let's quickly wrap up the direct arguments then. So we've said, is the specific act of eating the flesh of another creature wrong? In some cases, yes. So humans... And in some cases, it seems to be ambiguous. It depends a little bit on your perspective. Mm. In the case of the suffering slash death of living creatures, Singer seems to account for the suffering of animals as not necessarily morally equivalent, but definitely morally substantial. I think that's fair, but that doesn't undermine eating of meat. It undermines eating of meat that's produced in a way where it suffers and dies. Yes. So, so for it doesn't seem to undermine eating genuine free range. I mean, if you actually had your own farm and you had an animal and you genuinely raised it well, gave it a good life, got to have lots of animal sex and, you know, and, and you, you know, you only fed it, you know, the, the foie gras, no wait, that's bad. Um, you, it fed, it, you only ate it like the, you only gave it fancy stuff. And then one day it died and you said, I'm very sad that you've died, but I'm now going to consume your flesh. Mm. And that doesn't seem to rule that out. Right. But so quickly, is there a difference there between you actively killing it and it, it just sort of dying? So, okay. For, let's assume that you kill it in like a totally painless way. Yes. Because I mean, again, like with so many of the arguments we're going to do, apply it to humans. Does, is it fair? No. Like, you know, just because you kill someone painlessly doesn't make it okay to kill them. Mm. Like, oh, imagine you're in court and it's like, you don't understand your honor. It was a totally painless death. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, well, in that case, you did nothing wrong. And again, I mean, this, this, this points to a moral difference between humans and animals because we feel comfortable putting down pets in a way yes. that we don't feel yeah even humans even vegetarians and vegans are more comfortable with putting down pets in a context in which we would not do that with i mean we literally have big legal and philosophical debates about whether someone should even be able to choose to end their own life but yeah with pets it's, it's kind of the norm the point is there are contexts in which even a vegetarian or vegan would put down an animal that we would never consider doing for a human you know oh it's having a bit of a tough time it's going to die in the next couple of years anyway you know you'd never be like right whatever see your grandma <laughs> <laughs> um, and i guess the, the fundamental difference is that humans have a choice animals do not maybe there's a couple contexts in which you do it for humans if a human's in a vegetative state mm -hmm. and then the other one actually you mentioned before we recorded was if there is genuinely no hope of saving someone and you're out of normal norms of civil society. So you're in a war and there's someone there kind of like, you know, dying horribly filled with shrapnel. So cold, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> the lights, I see the light. <laughs> Some people would say it's permissible to kill a human being in that context. Possibly more so maybe justified, like yeah. it's actually the right thing to do. Maybe in that case, then it's not that animals are different, but that we're just, our, our perception of when it's okay to kill a human is wrong. Yeah. But I would say generally, yeah, we, we treat them differently. There's still cases where we put animals down where we'd never consider putting a human down, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's, I know I'm saying it's not, it's definitely a valid moral position to not eat meat because you oppose animals being killed. Question, I suppose, is, is it a valid position to fulfill the opposite? I think that 
the difficulty is you have to balance it against the need and benefit that you get from it. Increasingly, we're seeing, and I, I fit into this category, I actually, I'm in the difficult position of not being happy with the suffering or death of animals, but eating meat because it's a convenient way to get the kind of protein macros that I need and I enjoy it and mm. loathe to admit. But given good alternatives, I would totally move off it. I'm glad that there is a movement that means that there's more and more meat alternatives, good meat alternatives. And so I can reduce my meat consumption, which is something I conscientiously try to do, but I'm not prepared yet to totally commit to not eating meat. Because it's the most expedient way to, and, and tasty. <laughs> yeah. Arguing about what's moral and how we live our lives. I can acknowledge that something's wrong and still do some of it in my life without necessarily being an absolutely terrible person. Like flying is wrong. Most textiles are wrong. But if you're telling me that you never fly and wear a shirt from H&M, then you're lying. Actually, no, that's not fair. You're not lying. You Though, might be a great person. You, yeah, <laughs> you, might be, you might be an excellent person, but we have to balance what's morally right with what's reasonable and convenient. But we can also strive to make things better. And I think this whole issue is, I, I find this a personally quite challenging one because I think this is possibly the one area of my life where I am morally inconsistent, but... And it annoys you. And it, yeah. It's a At least you're living of, an examined life. It's a source of cognitive dissonance. I feel you. I'm the same. But certainly efforts to reduce your meat consumption... Is a good kind of midway. Is, is a good midway for now. And I think as meat alternatives get better, yeah. it's something we can one day we we substitute to. more into our diet. So that's, yeah. that's exciting. Or, I mean, if you're in the spectrum or categories argument, moving to less sentient forms of, of, of yeah, animals, like, right? Eat more insects. Exactly. Eat more insects. I mean, I, I would be happy if that was kind of more available. Not- this episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Next one. So I think, yeah, we've we've looked in quite a lot of detail there at the direct arguments surrounding why eating meat might be immoral. Let's now look at the externalities, the indirect effects. And this, to sum up that argument, the meat industry is the cause of a lot of harms and wrongs, such as environmental impact, slaughterhouse, bad working conditions, et cetera, et cetera. And we're saying, you know, none of those are the intended outcomes of the way that meat is produced, yeah. but they, they do exist. Necessary. It's not necessarily the case that in order to produce meat, you must have huge negative environmental impact, impacts. It's a result of the way that we currently farm meat, right? Yeah. So, you know, if I was the only person in the world who farmed a cow, it mm. wouldn't have an environmental impact. And like we said, it may not even need to suffer or anything like that. I think this is personal speculation. I think the reason the environmental impact has gained so much traction is because people feel a bit more morally ambiguous about killing animals. And that's where the vegan argument originally centered was like, yeah. you know, it's just wrong to kill something. And then people are like, oh, well, you know, animals fall into, as we've said, categories, different sort of gray areas. Yeah. However, a lot of people are on board with the environmental argument and therefore it's pointing, enough to nudge it over. Yeah. Pointing, pointing to the negative environmental impact of the meat industry is a really great way of drawing yeah. attention to that and giving people enough impetus to, yeah. to cut their meat consumption. And like we said, it's, it's increasingly reasonable mm-hmm. to do so because there's more and more alternatives. I, I mean, if you just said this you know, thousands of years ago, it, it may have been practically impossible to, mm-hmm. to avoid all meat and animal products, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you would struggle to get the nutrients you need. Also just the resources as well. Like think about sort of clothing and all these yeah. other things that come from animals. And- yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, granted, they largely wouldn't eat meat, but when they did, it would be substantial mm-hmm. nutrient boost. Again, just to clarify, one 
I mean, we've said it a couple of times, but these points don't mean it's necessarily moral to eat meat. It's just about the modern context of eating meat. Rather than reel off stats on the environmental impact, we're not a science podcast. Lots of people do it. Watch documentary, Google it. It's a huge contributor to greenhouse gases. Yeah, to call out some particular things, beef, cows, cattle, mm. they're particularly negative when it comes to this. I think the gist of the overall argument is if you think about the amount of energy, water and other resources that go into producing meat, it's a lot less efficient than if we just grew crops for humans to eat. Yeah. There's an argument around as the human race becomes more populous, is it extremely wasteful and bad for the environment to put a lot of energy and water into raising these animals when actually if you didn't have those animals, the same amount of grain could feed way more people, yeah. just, just as an example. Basically take it that it's the case, that it's negative for the impact. Take it with a pinch of salt, but watch Cowspiracy. It kind of gives a good groundwork. So environmental impact. I think one of the key points that they make in that exact documentary, and that is largely true, is that it seems to be a case of reducing would actually also be sufficient. So for example, cutting out red meat has like 90% of the effect. And then reducing your chicken consumption or like other meat consumption a bit, basically get 95% of the way there. So it doesn't seem to say you shouldn't eat meat. It just seems to say that you should be conscious of your environmental impact. And then like we said, actually, there can be some inconsistency here because you get people who don't eat meat. And, and like we said, you could eat some meat and it would make practically no difference on this metric. But then they'll also have their avocados flown in from across the world or eat pesto that requires intensively farmed basil, which also takes <laughs> up a lot of water. This is where if your argument rests entirely on the environmental impact, you need to uphold that same scrutiny across a lot of different areas of your life, which is, almost becomes impossible, really. It's a good thing to do, but it is hard. And yeah. it kind of pushes you well, it pushes you in the right direction of saying when it comes to most products, you should consider buying things that are more locally that don't have to be imported and contribute yep. to pollution in that way. You should consider things that are farmed less intensively. And especially when it comes to animals, things like cattle and beef, a lot of the environmental impact is contained in that particular mm. set of the industry. So reducing our dependency on that is a quick way to have a big impact. Yeah. And, and as we said earlier in that kind of vegetarian branding thing, it seems to be that if the focus was on getting everyone to eat less rather than getting some people to commit to not eating at all it would actually be more effective so i basically feel like this kind of indirect environmental impact argument is really an argument to avoid certain meats and eat less meat overall it doesn't seem to make it a rule to just i mean it, it's a convenient way to kind of follow that heuristic to just not eat meat but it doesn't seem to kind of rule it out on a moral basis if you no. can have 95 percent of the impact without entirely cutting it out and do fact check us on that 95 percent. but yeah, I, take, I'm, I'm, take it as a point that like you can have you can have a big impact without going meat to zero similar we, arguments can apply to the other externality it's all basically saying like okay we can mitigate those externalities without necessarily re eliminating our meat consumption i'd agree i think so the other externalities just to give you an example this is these are things like working in slaughterhouses make for really unpleasant working conditions yeah don't pay well hard work etc indirect suffering that comes from yeah just the the, the way that meat it's, a bit, is produced. it's a bit of a I hope this isn't a swear word. It's a bit of a crappy industry. But I guess the argument, basically the argument there is that morally you should oppose the working conditions as opposed to not support the industry. Uh, I think in a lot of cases, putting those people out of jobs actually doesn't necessarily actually help them. This is a major issue with, for example, sweatshops. There's kind of this white savior premise where it's like, we're closing down the sweatshop because it's unfair. And it's like, despite the fact that it's deeply unfair, like this is my only source of income. I'd rather that you paid everyone fairly than, than shutting it down. So with this, it seems to be that this isn't a necessary feature of the way that meat is produced. If mm. meat was produced in fairer conditions that were better for the animals, better for the people that work there, yes, there's yeah. an argument that in so doing, you couldn't produce meat at the, sa the scale to meet global demand. Mm. But 
we've already said reasons why that would be a good thing. Price would go up. Okay, that's not great. But that's, a, sort of, that's a natural way to incentivize people to eat less. It is. It is. It's true. Which kind of points to, if we want a solution to this, it sort of points to the fact that responsible consumerism helps. You know, you should, mm. you should choose meat that comes from well-sourced places. But regulation on the way that mm. meat production is allowed to happen yeah, I would go feel, quite a long way. I feel like we, we, we end up with this kind of activism in a lot of our life where it's basically that we've basically reached the point where our governments aren't regulating so many things effectively that there are constant calls for us to regulate them. Another good example is we and people who invest in companies and you know asset managers and stuff should hold companies to account and encourage them to be more carbon neutral. I'm like, yeah, that's good, but you're doing this because of a failing of regulation. Like really, that's the mm -hmm. place of regulation. It's the function of governments to try and take that long-term interest in the common good to then create regulation. The argument that we should, as consumers, step up is like, yeah, I, I agree, but it's only because of a failing of regulation <laughs> that mm. it's become a necessity. I think so. And I, a lot of the, the externalities, environmental impact, even the risks of viruses spreading within slaughterhouses, etc., and, and just the suffering that animals experience, all of this could be solved by better regulation, which yeah. means that there's less pressure on you as a consumer to consume responsibly because there aren't irresponsible choices yes. on the shelves. So like everything, it's the government's fault. <laughs> <laughs> We've given some specifics, but to summarize the entire indirect argument, it's indirect. Changing your meat consumption is a way to impact it, but it doesn't necessarily make a statement about the morality of the specific action of eating meat. And it's not even necessarily the best course of action to right those wrongs. You'd probably so, have a bigger impact campaigning for regulation. And to be fair, like being vegan, making a statement that way, yeah. signaling, it's all good steps towards that end yeah. goal. If we're talking about environmental impact or people working in difficult conditions, those are issues that you could address entirely outside of the meat industry. You could address environmental impact in the aviation industry, in the textiles industry. And in, and in vegan products like avocados. Yeah, and even in, same with workers' rights. Okay, so overall, Jake, is it immoral to eat meat? What is your take? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was dreading this moment. I feel like the indirect argument on its own doesn't provide a strong enough moral basis for not eating meat. I think these are consequences, conditions that can be solved in other ways. And being vegan, vegetarian is certainly a good step in that direction, but it's not a necessary feature of actually eating meat, right? It's, it's a sort of feature of the way things are now. Yeah. So the main one, environmental impact, reducing your meat has a very, very similar mm -hmm. effect. Uh, and it doesn't mean that like, you know, in certain circumstances, it's not okay to eat meat. Where I struggle is just the moral status of animals. The direct because, questions, yeah. Yeah, because I think, I mean, regardless, I'd never want an animal to suffer uh, in order for me to consume it. I try and conscientiously yeah. purchase yeah. free range. You know, maybe if you had to raise the animals yourselves, you'd, you'd change your mind a bit, right? Yeah. On the other hand, maybe, as is the case empirically in so many situations, if you had to do it yourself, you would just become more numbed to that. And I think that's the trouble is I think where I am hypocritical is I, I think I'd personally struggle if I had to kill an animal to eat it on a regular basis. I mean, I think I could do it in a survival situation, but haven't yet been in one of those where it's just like me and a goat or something. Yeah, I've been on the other side where I've family have had chickens and stuff and mm. they've killed them and we've eaten them and I've kind of been more comfortable with it. It becomes a norm. But that kind of sidetracked and made it sound like I'm super pro-killing things. I'm not. Um, <laughs> similar to you, I am very driven by the environmental impact one, but that's a reason I choose to reduce my meat and try and avoid red meat, not a reason why I um, choose to be vegan. And, um, and there are other areas of your life in which you need to consider that as well, right? Yes. Yeah, there are other areas as well. So I choose when I'm on Skyscanner, I choose the little flight that says lower emissions. <laughs> um, I try to do carbon offsetting, for example. Uh, I mean, theoretically, if environmental impact is your concern, could you carbon offset a ton and then eat however much red meat you want? Mm. Interesting question. But overall, sorry, back to that direct question. <sighs> Again, I'm going to fall in the same camp as you. I'm uncomfortable with it, 
but balancing it with convenience, my kind of personal outcome is reduce my meat consumption as much as possible. And really, I just look forward to the day when we have affordable alternatives that mean that it's convenient and tasty for me to basically eat no meat. But for now, my compromise is to reduce my meat consumption. That's true, because I think you're right. If lab-grown meat became enough yeah. of a mainstay and was... Or just good, good, tasty alternatives. Yeah, the stuff that provided the protein that you need to meet your dietary requirements. I, I have a high-protein requirement. <laughs> <laughs> if that became the case, it's not a required feature that the meat came from a living animal. Like that's, yeah. that's it's, something not... I, it's something I put up with. Not yeah. so, it's something I'm, I'm sad, but I do put up with. Not something that I require for my meat, that something has died from it. It's yeah. an unfortunate side effect. I think so. Wow. I mean, that was a good long episode. Let's wrap it up. Jake, any, any parting thoughts? We're living in interesting moral times. I think we're thinking of writing an open letter to the government on their current COVID policy. We said quite a bit in our lockdown episode that we felt the media had a lot to answer for in the mm. way they were handling the current pandemic. So mm. that would definitely make for an interesting episode. Yeah. Maybe we'll work this into another episode on the role of media in shaping narrative. The media is also going to have an interesting role to play in the upcoming US elections. Oh my goodness. Did you, did you watch the presidential debate? I watched enough of the highlights to get the gist of it. Shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch the whole thing? Uh, highlight. Oh my God, I'm just as bad. This is the problem. Too many people watch bloody sound bites. <laughs> but no, I didn't get the impression it was worth watching the whole thing. I think really the point of that discussion was Biden to show that he's willing to stand up to him. And I think he did a good job of standing up enough to say, I've seen that the acting incredulous thing doesn't work and I'm not going to be a pushover. But also not so much that like he, he came off on the kind of slightly higher ground. I mean, it was embarrassing. For American democracy, but I just don't see any other outcome that you could have done with Trump. It's like that old phrase, don't argue with an idiot. Yeah. They'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. <laughs> yeah. But it reflects a breakdown in civil discourse in society when debate becomes pointless because mm. all you're going to see is sound bites on the both sides saying that that person won and they don't even discuss policy. Should we consider doing an episode on the role of media as our next one? Please. I don't want to commit to it, but I'll say maybe. Okay, we'll come back to you listeners we'll on, come back on to you. what the exact question for the next episode is. Might be that, might be something on something entirely different. <laughs> <laughs> Give us your thoughts and feedback if, you, if there's anything you want us to tackle. Guys, I'm, I'm going to quickly recall, have you ever like gone into a YouTube thing and they're like, what up YouTube, YouTube, like and subscribe, leave a review. Please, if you enjoy this, do leave us a review. It's extremely helpful. We know that the majority of our listeners are actually in the US and we have not had a review on our US Apple podcast page. <gasps> Shocking. 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 Although I think most of them listen to us on Spotify. So if you like this, don't forget to rate us, leave a review, like, subscribe, yeah. share, do all those internet yes, things. It really matters to us. I'm, I'm genuinely asking you, mate. Yeah, this is just a project of passion. But if you like it as much as we do, help us keep it going. See ya. Thanks, guys.